Turn your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're continuing the sequence begun several weeks ago when we spoke of the crucifixion of Christ and then his triumphant resurrection. Then John 21, last Sunday, when Jesus appeared to Peter after his denial at the trial and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Today we come to the next event, the ascension of the Lord and the mandate given by the Lord Jesus. Under the theme, the promise of the Father. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for everyone who has come to the house of God today. Thank you for the beautiful music, the solo brother Kenny gave, the choir's beautiful music, brother Chris's solo, the triumphant testimony from the trumpet. And now, Father, we pray you'll open the word of God to us as we think about the promise that Jesus made. We ask it in his name, amen. The former treatise, Have I Made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, under the uttermost parts of the earth. In these few verses, Luke tells us the story of what happened just before the ascension. The next few verses deal with the disciples looking steadfastly to heaven. The Lord was taken up and an angel stood by and said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? The same Jesus whom you've seen taken into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. The Bible word for promise simply means a declaration or assurance made to another person with respect to the future, stating that he will do or refrain from doing a specific act, or that he will give or bestow some specific thing. In our concordance in my Bible, there are 45 references to a promise. The book is full of promises. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for promise is debar. In the New Testament, Epigilion. This is related to three major themes. God's promise to Abraham concerning a son. You remember he said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. 
It's not going to be Ishmael. You're going to have a son of your own loins. He was 80 years old. Told people, I'm going to have a son. You're too old, old man. 85, I'm going to have a son. 90, you're going to have a son. <laughs> then he was nearly 100 years old and God gave Abraham and Sarah in answer to his promise a son named Isaac. It was through Isaac that all the world would be blessed because the ultimate result of Isaac would be the birth of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second uh, theme around God's promise is to, is to David and David's seed a Savior according to a promise. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But thou Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel, who is going forth, have been from of old, even from everlasting. The promise of the Son of God. The third theme is God's promise concerning the Holy Spirit. This was never referred to as a promise until after the resurrection. In Luke 24 and 49, Acts 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 2, verse 33, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the promise of the Father. There are hundreds of promises in the Bible. Someone has said all the promises belong to the believer. Great promises of the Bible. Even the promise in Genesis 3.15, when God said to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, you will bruise his heel. The head bruise more tragic and dangerous than the heel wound. Just before the cross, Jesus said, now is Satan's heel lifted against me. And he did that. He thought that was the end. But you can't kill God. Three days later, Jesus came out of the grave. Among these hundreds of promises, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. What a wonderful promise. In Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose going forth have been from old, even from everlasting. And then he goes on to say, the ungodly are not like this. They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That's a promise. It's a promise to those who reject God's only remedy for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in Isaiah 40, 31, 
but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Malachi 3.10. Will a man rob God? Well, have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Bring ye all the tithe in the storehouse and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. Listen, those promises are real today, just like they were then. And in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Jesus was talking to His disciples about His death on the cross. They were deeply hurt. There were tears. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. All these promises are like the promise Jesus made. I will pray the Father and he will send the promise, the precious Holy Spirit. The promise concerning the Holy Spirit is the promise of hope, power, joy, love, expectancy, the ultimate hope of heaven. Jesus had been with them for three years. He'd been crucified and buried. Now they had seen him alive, but he speaks of going back to the Father. The disciples are disturbed. What are they going to do? If he leaves them now, when I'm afraid, what shall I do? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When I'm lonely, what shall I do? Lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. When I'm in sorrow, what shall I do? Let not your heart be troubled. When I'm afraid or worried, what shall I do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When I'm facing a shipwreck, what shall I do? And Paul said to those on board the ship, the angel of God stood with me last night and said, everything's going to be all right. When my loved ones are facing peril, or I'm facing a struggle with death, what shall I do? We know that the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. You see, those promises are precious. When the Titanic was going down, John Harper, who had been called to be pastor of the Moody Memorial Church, he had left London, he had come, he was on his way to accept that pastorate in Chicago, and the Titanic broke in pieces following the hitting of the iceberg. And John Harper was out in the ocean, swimming around, telling people how to be saved. And while he was doing that, the band on the ship that had been playing dance music switched. They began to play, Nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. And some of the survivors said the last thing they remember was John Harper telling people how to be saved and then ultimately dying himself and the band as the ship went down playing, Nearer my God to thee. See, those are all promises 
that God keeps. Promise to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise of the Father. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all have names except the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jehovah. God the Son, Jesus. God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The consummate, the, the comforter, the one who convicts, the one who converts, the one who comforts, the one who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's the Spirit of Jesus living today here. And when the disciples were afraid, they knew the Lord was going back to heaven. They saw him go, but they remembered his promise. I'm going to pray the Father. He will send a comforter. In just a few days, they were gathered together there in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in power and authority, sat upon each one of them like fire. And they were given unusual language abilities. There were people gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world, speaking different languages. And all of a sudden they began to tell about Jesus in native languages that they didn't know. How'd they do that? The Holy Spirit, God's precious Holy Spirit gave them that ability. God with us, he is omnipotent, omnipresent, he strives within us. He enlightens us. He gives us physical strength. He is the wisdom and gives us wisdom to, we, to seek him. He enables us to receive divine revelation. He empowers the servants of God. Note who he is called. The Holy Spirit is called holy, good, spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of judgment, spirit of burning, spirit of Jehovah, spirit of counsel, spirit of knowledge. All those truths are bound up in the Holy Spirit. Now, everyone in this room who is saved has had an experience with the Holy Spirit. You may say, well, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't shout. I didn't roll on the floor. I didn't put my hands toward heaven. Friend, if you've been saved, you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit because the very thing that happens when you give your heart to Christ, we say we receive Jesus. The Bible technically says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We receive His Spirit. His Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's the reason you can have joy and peace and power and a sense of pardon and assurance that when you go to the end of life, you're going to heaven. The Holy Spirit inside of you tells you that. And when you hear the Word of God preached, the thing that causes a little amen inside of you is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you won't have that amen. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you won't have joy. Now, sometimes our joy is taken away because we become so earth-minded and earth-bound. And we don't have the authority and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we don't give Him full sway. It's like the fellowship a child has with his parents. If he's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. If he honors his mother and dad and he does what they ask him to do that is in the will of God, there's joy. Now they may not like everything mom and dad say to do, but 
there's a relationship of understanding. But when they say no, take the garbage out. No, I'm not going to do it. Turn the television down. No, I'm going to watch my favorite program. When that begins to happen, the relationship is there, but the fellowship broken. There's no fellowship between mom and dad, between parents and son and daughter. That's what happens when you say no to God. When, you get our, when we get our minds so filled with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we look at all the things that are going on in the world, and we worry, and we fret and toss over debts, we fret and toss over relationships, fret and toss because we don't agree with somebody, we fret and toss over all these things, the fellowship is broken. The relationship's there, but the fellowship is broken. What can break the relationship between a son and his daddy? Nothing. All the rest of his life, he'd be the son of his father. What can break the fellowship? Disobedience and dishonor. Same thing when we get saved and the Holy Spirit comes live inside of us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But sometimes we take over the playroom. We take over the business room. We take over the bedroom. We take over some other rooms in our lives and we squeeze him into the closet. He's there, but he has no power in our lives. He has no authority. We don't let him have authority. The only authority that, that the Holy Spirit has in our lives is what we allow him to have. That seems strange, doesn't it? Now, keep in mind that God's still in charge. He can allow some tragedies to come if necessary. One of the most difficult tragedies I've known about. It's a couple that came to our church many, many years ago. <clears throat> I saw them sit there on Sunday night. And the woman turned to the man while we were giving the invitation. And I saw her take his hand and say, let's go. He said, no, no. They went out. The next day, here in the city, a tragic accident. That man went out into eternity, lost. The woman called me on the phone and said, I, when I can wipe my tears away and if I'll talk to you. A few days went by and she said, would you come by? And we talked. She said, I urged my husband to give his heart to Christ that night, but he said, no. No. Ten years later, she called me. They'd moved out of town. She'd moved out of town. And she said, all these ten years, I've thought of my husband. I loved him very much. But unless something happened at the very last minute, he's been in hell for ten years. What a tragedy. He said no to the Holy Spirit. The only unpardonable sin is to send away your day of grace by rejecting the Holy Spirit, by blaspheming the Holy Spirit. How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You say no to him. 
He knocks on your heart's door. And you hear him. He said, come in, come in. He comes in. He floods your heart with forgiveness. God wipes away all the sin penalty. All the sin is erased from your record. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you. If you say no, you go on with your sin. Now, how about the promise of the Father to the one who does receive Christ? He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you. Now, you may disobey me. I may have to whip you. I may have to let some storms come, some trouble come. If you can sin and you wallow in it and you enjoy it and you keep on going on in it, more than likely you've never been saved. There are three ways God deals with a sinning Christian. Number one, he hurts his heart. See, the Holy Spirit lives in the heart of a believer. And when you disobey the Holy Spirit, he hurts your heart. He knocks. Secondly, he sends somebody to you. If you ignore God, he's not going to ignore you. He'll send somebody to you like he did David. David sinned against God. He was a Christian. He wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Great man of God, but he sinned, a terrible sin. He thought nobody knew about it. God said, Nathan, you go see him. You tell him. And Nathan pointed his finger in the king's face and said, thou art the man. Now, David was a Christian. He could have gotten mad and had, the, had Nathan, the preacher, beheaded, sent out of, out of this country. But you know what David did? He got on his knees and said, Lord, I, I'm wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Then I'll teach transgressors thy way. The third way God deals with a sinning Christian, he begins to send rebuke. He disciplines. It's a hard thing to be disciplined by the Lord. A death in your family, maybe. Severe illness, severe financial problems. I don't know what all. God is able to call all kinds of plans into being to discipline a believer to bring him back. Discipline in a believer's life is always remedial. It's always to bring you back. It's never to put you down, but to bring you back. And over again in the Bible, you read about people who have disobeyed the Lord and left God out, and God has to bring discipline to bring them back. The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Part of the promise of the Father, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you disobey me, I'll whip you. I'll draw you back. When you get ready to die, I'll be there. I'll take you safe home to put your hand in the hand of God forever. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. The shadows deepen, my heart bleeds. I will not question the way God leads. This side of heaven we know in part. I will not question a broken heart. 
We'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over, my Lord and I. I'll ask the reasons. He'll tell me why when we've talked it over in the by and by. The promise of the Father, I'll never leave you. God comes to dwell inside of you. You remember what they said when Jesus was born? His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And God never leaves nor forsakes. He's with you. That's the promise of the Father. Why would you not accept the promise of the Father? To reject that touch of God in your life is to reject God's love. Last Sunday, Brother Steve sang the love of God. If we could fill the ocean with ink and take a pen and write the love of God, it would take all the parchments in the world and then we could not fulfill all of God's love. We couldn't write it. God loves you. Would you let him into your life today, the promise of the Father? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've heard the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Let's pray together. Our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the Father, the Lord Jesus, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit coming to live in our lives. Thank you that he's here today. He lives within every believer. I pray that those who are here today in whom the Holy Spirit does not dwell, they've never really been forgiven of our sin, never saved. God, stir their hearts, draw them to Christ. And every believer, if we wandered out on the periphery, let our life be filled with things, the world, flesh, the devil. May the Holy Spirit draw us back by his bands of discipline and love and care. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. 468. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, life would be so miserable. If you're here today, you've never been saved, come to Jesus just as you are. Don't turn him away. Don't say no when God says go. Come to our Lord. Will you do that? And if you are a Christian, are you living where God answers prayer? Are you doing that? While we sing, will you come? <clears throat>